Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so we're in this uh, uh, series on reconciliation, and, uh, and as I mentioned last weekend, I want to spend a little time just talking about forgiveness, because I think uh, forgiveness is a very relevant topic when we're talking about reconciliation. I think they go hand in hand. And of course, as we know, uh, reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same thing, right? Reconciliation and forgiveness are not the same thing. Reconciliation requires two people, okay? So you actually need the other person to want to reconcile in order to be, rec- to be able to, to reconcile. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world when you have, and, and most of us at some point, hopefully in your life, you've experienced moments of reconciliation, whether small or medium or big. But those moments of reconciliation where you've had a broken relationship and then there's apologies and there's understanding and there's coming together and, uh, and forgiving each other, reconciliation is beautiful. Reconciliation shows to the whole world what Jesus looks like. Reconciliation feels like heaven on the inside. Reconciliation is beautiful. But like I said, and as we've been looking at in this series, reconciliation requires two people. So there will be times in your life when reconciliation is not possible for whatever reasons, okay? But the other person doesn't want to engage in it or, or, or whatever. You can't get to reconciliation. Reconciliation is beautiful. Reconciliation is godly. Reconciliation models Jesus on the earth, but it doesn't always happen. And it's, and it's, a li- it's out of your control. Half of it is out of your control because it requires the other person, okay? But forgiveness is something that is uh, mandatory, but not just mandatory. Uh, forgiveness as well is this, it's like the most wonderful thing, okay? But the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is forgiveness is, only requires you, okay? So even when there can't be reconciliation, we are always called uh, to forgiveness, and uh, I want to read you a passage. And of course, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know this because forgiveness is central to our faith. Forgiveness is absolutely core and central to our faith. I mean, every, the reason we're called Christians is because God took on flesh in Jesus and died on a cross and rose from the grave so that we could be forgiven from our sins. And one of the most important and repeated commands throughout Scripture is that because he has forgiven us, we are now to forgive our brothers and sisters and those who do wrong to us and those who hate us. And so I want to just start by reading you a passage. I could read you many because Jesus talks about forgiveness everywhere, and so do the other writers of Scripture uh, in the New Testament. But I just want to read you a little passage here, and it's the Lord's Prayer. And I want you just to see how forgiveness is just woven in to what is supposed to be our daily life. And so Jesus says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then just, you know, it's just as natural as praying for your daily bread. Give us our daily bread. And right after that, it should be as natural to us as, and forgive us our debts because we constantly need forgiveness from God. Is that not true? We just constantly need forgiveness from God. So asking for forgiveness should just be as natural as asking for provision and forgive us our debts. But then there's this second part as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus says the assumption is if you're going to ask for forgiveness from God and you're going to have to do that regularly, 
the assumption is that as you're going to him, you are also forgiving those who have hurt you because it doesn't make sense that you would ask God for forgiveness but not be willing to give forgiveness to others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he tacks this on right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. He says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, we know this, okay? As I just said, if you're a Christian, you know that you're supposed to forgive. But one of the things I, I, I feel is that you know, myself and as preachers often, we preach some of these things that the Bible tells us, but we don't often give a lot of help as to how to do it, okay? And of course, we know there's a continuum to forgiveness, so some forgiveness is easy. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it, as Jesus, Jesus assumes that it's almost part of our daily life. There's some kind of needing forgiveness and giving forgiveness. And there's no question that in day-to-day, -day, there's all kinds of little things we forgive that really aren't all that hard, Okay? So your kid didn't listen to you and you, whatever, talk it out, hopefully in a healthy way, and then you can forgive them and you can move on. It's really not a big deal. Or your spouse doesn't clean up, you know, the hair in the sink or whatever, right? So there's little things and those aren't really that hard, but that, that's not what we're talking about. Often, you know, we have instances in life, well, all of us, if you're human, we have times in life where actually it's really hurtful. It's not as easy as just, you didn't clean things up properly or just the way you said that I didn't like your tone and it really bugged me. Um, there's this continuum of things from, you know, the small daily things that we just need to practice and get better at forgiving. We don't need a lot of help with that. But then going to, you know, more hurtful things and then even to very severely hurtful things. I feel like as preachers, myself and, and preachers in general, we tell people, just like Jesus said, you got to forgive, you got to forgive. And yet, one of the most common questions, if you know, in, in my ministry over the years, it's very common that people say, I'm trying to forgive, you know, in some of these difficult things. I'm really trying to, and I just can't. And it's almost like we give the, this sort of, it's like brute force. The only thing we as Christians know how to get forgiveness is just brute force. Just keep working at it, and just keep working at it, and just keep working at it, keep working at it. And today, I want to help you with some things that I think are very helpful because there's actually important pieces that if you don't do them, you will never get to forgiveness. And there's certain things that can block our ability to forgive that if you can remove them and have grace for yourself and take time, forgiveness actually can flow a lot more easily. Even if it never gets easy, it can come more easily. And so I wanna pray and then we're going to jump in. And I want to help you and myself, I want to help all of us on our, on our forgiveness journeys. Because forgiveness really is a journey. It's not something you can just turn on. At least, you know, when you get past just the little ones. So you bow your heads and close your eyes. And then, and then we'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you empower us today? Forgiveness is really one of the most beautiful things to experience, to give, and to see. It is life-giving and it is freeing and many of us need to be freed to forgive. Cover us in your grace here this morning and empower us to let go of hurt and anger and bitterness. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So a couple of helps in your journey to forgiveness because it really is a journey. And the first thing I want to start at, out with is your attitude towards yourself when you're trying to forgive. 
And I, this is actually a really important point, I believe, and, and, this, is, and, and this is, so I'll just, I'm just going to say it, and that is we should have curiosity. When you are struggling to forgive, rather than beating yourself up and condemning yourself for the fact that you can't forgive, which is what many Christians do, we just feel like, oh, I, like, what's wrong with me that I can't forgive? I have such a wicked heart, blah, 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 all these things. We condemn ourselves. Actually, a better approach to your unforgiveness is curiosity rather than condemnation, okay? And I'll tell you the reason why I think curiosity is better. First of all, condemnation really isn't helpful. It doesn't help us to do anything well, okay? It might help us to do certain actions, but condemnation always fails to capture the heart. So condemnation might drive you to keep trying to forgive and forgive and forgive, but condemnation will do a terrible job of helping your heart to actually release bitterness. But the reason I think curiosity is a lot better than condemnation when it comes to your inability to forgive is because really when we talk about not being able to forgive, what we're really talking about is we continue to have feelings of resentment or anger or bitterness towards someone. So what happens is we're told, we read in the Bible, we're told at church, you got to forgive. So we know we have to forgive. So it's like, I try to forgive. And I hear people, you know, talk to me about this often, and I keep trying to forgive, but I can't forgive. And, uh, and then people feel bad about it. But the thing is, when they say that they can't forgive, what they mean is, so they get up and they pray, oh God, I want to forgive, I want to forgive, I pray for the person, I'm, I'm and you're just working to forgive. And then the next day you wake up and you still have feelings of resentment. You still have feelings of anger. You still have feelings of hurt. So you try again, and you try to get rid of those feelings, and then they come back. And then you feel condemned because it's like, well, what's wrong with me that I continue to have feelings of resentment and anger and hurt? Well, here's the thing. Your feelings are there for a reason. They're actually there for a reason. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Your feelings might not be there for good reasons, but they're there for a reason. Your feelings might not be totally logical, but that doesn't mean they're random. Isn't that true? Okay? Like, for example, I am not concerned that at some point during this message, I will suddenly begin to experience a boiling rage. Now, hopefully you guys don't do anything to instigate me to that. <laughs> but boiling rage or panic, you know, if we just put aside kind of some mental illnesses and, and things that people struggle with in chemical imbalances, uh, emotions might not come for a totally logical reason, but they always come be in a context. Something happens to me, I might not have good justification for feeling angry, but that something happened to me and it triggers my anger. Something happens to me, it triggers my fear. There might not be good reasons. Don't, don't, I'm not, don't hear me saying that your emotions always have good reasons, but they always have a reason. So that is super important to understanding yourself on the forgiveness journey because your feelings are not going to just go away because every day you're just brute working to forgive. So recognize, rather than feeling condemned, oh, I'm such a bad person, I, I still feel bitter. I'm such a bad person, I still feel resentment. And, or getting hopeless, which many Christians do, and just give up because they can't help it. Rather, a way better way to approach this on your forgiveness journey is to be curious, okay, I'm feeling these things, why am I feeling them? That is a very healthy way to approach the things that are going on inside of you. Which brings up my second point, which is this, give yourself permission and time to work through things before you start trying to really let go of them. 
Okay, now this is, again, I, I just have to, because a lot of us as Christians, because we know what the right thing to do is, we often try to get there too quickly. And if you try to get there too quickly, what you'll get is fake forgiveness instead of real forgiveness. You'll get mind forgiveness instead of a true heart forgiveness where you've actually released the thing. So what I, what I, what I know, and the reason I know this is because I'm a normal person just like you guys, and so you feel guilty because the Bible says forgive. So what we assume is forgiveness must be instantaneous. So you know what I, you know what we, what I do, what many of us do? The moment you get hurt, you already start trying to work on forgiveness before you've even processed what's happened to you. So someone hurts you, and I see this with Christians all the time. It's like someone hurts them, and before they've even had time to process the fact that this really hurt, they already know I'm supposed to forgive, and so they're already trying to make excuses for the person. Oh, I know they didn't really mean it, or da-da-da-da-da, and they're trying to excuse what the person did before they actually just let themselves feel, wow, that was wrong. That really hurt. And if you jump straight to, I'm just going to forgive. I'm just going to let it go. The fact of the matter is, you won't deal with the reasons why you're going to feel bitter later, and it's going to drive you crazy that you can't get rid of those feelings. But they're there because you actually got hurt. So the moment you get hurt, sure, in deep inside, you know, at some point, I am going to forgive this. I'm committed to that because I love Jesus. But before I get there, I'm not going to pretend that I have forgiven when I haven't even processed what's happened to me. We actually have to, first of all, be curious as to our reasons why we can't let go of things. And second of all, we have to give ourselves time. You know what? God is not demanding that you forgive this instant. He will walk with you. And there are some things, obviously there are smaller things. There are less small things. There are huge things. Some things will actually take months, sometimes in severe situations, they might take years to really forgive. In some cases, these are things that happen to you over the course of years. So don't be impatient with yourself. Don't be impatient with others. When it comes to forgiveness, did you know that God is really okay with it taking time? If he wasn't okay with it, he would help you get over it quicker. Okay? Which brings up a third thing, and then we're going to get into some practical steps, but I'm just, I just want to set the table, actually, that on your forgiveness journey, you need to actually have a lot of grace for yourself. Just have a lot of grace for yourself on the forgiveness journey. That's actually super important. Amen. See, and the, the third thing we have to keep in mind before we get to some practical steps is this. A lot of us as Christians have this automatic assumption that negative emotions are sinful. And it doesn't matter how, time, how many times we preach it from the pulpit here at Southland that it's not sinful to feel something. We still, many of us, default to this place of, if I feel angry, I am in the wrong. But do you know that anger, feeling anger, is not a sin? It's a feeling. Okay? Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. I'll start there. I'm going to show you a bunch of verses. But Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Okay? Be angry and do not sin. There it is. Be angry and do not sin. He's quoting Psalm 4.4. 4. We're gonna, I'm going to get there. i got a couple of verses I'm going to show you first. But be angry and do not sin. Okay? It can't be any more clear than that. Now, the next line is something that a lot of Christians misunderstand too. Because the next line says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So a lot of Christians take that to mean that no matter what has happened to me, I have 24 hours to let it go. Okay? 
Now, this is a pastoral letter. I love that. So, uh, but Paul, again, this isn't, you have to remember how the, the Bible operates. So many things are condensed into a sentence. Clearly, if you know anyone that's ever gone through something difficult, if you are a human being who has ever experienced something difficult, which probably means all of us here today, you know that actually there are some things that you can't let go of before the sun goes down. So what is Paul talking about here? What he's talking about is all those many little things that if you don't deal with them promptly can turn into big things. Isn't that true? So at work, it's like, it's like that analogy I used a couple of weeks ago. If I have a pebble in my shoe and it's just there for five seconds, it's not going to hurt me, okay? And if I just need to have my shoes on for whatever reason for like two minutes just to get from here to another room, I don't really need to stop to take the pebble out. But if I'm going to go for a lengthy hike or if I'm going to run a marathon, it doesn't matter how small that pebble is, I should get it out because if it's going to be there long term, it's going to end up hurting me. And what Paul is saying about do not let the sun go down in your anger, there's many times in relationships where you have little things don't let little things pile up. But what he is not saying is, you went through years of childhood abuse or years of neglect in a marriage or a massive betrayal in a business deal or whatever it is, and now you have to sundown to work it out. Okay? So feeling anger is not a sin, and forgiveness will often take time. Now you say, but what about all the biblical warnings about anger? There's a lot of biblical warnings about anger, and that is true. Okay, let's go and look at a couple of them just to make sure that I'm not giving you a kind of a skewed perspective here. James chapter 1, 19 to 20. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, first of all, I want you to notice again, it does not say no anger. Okay, really important. Nowhere in the Bible... Does it say that the feeling of anger is a sin? And James does not say here, never feel anger. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay? Now, I want you also to notice here, his focus is not so much on the emotion. It's on the action. Look what he says next. For the anger man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay? Feeling anger is not a sin. It's when you act out of your anger that sins happen. It's when you speak out of your anger that thing, bad things happen. It's when you make choices out of your anger that sin is sure to come. But feeling anger, you, you, you can't even help it. I mean, did you know that the emotion of anger wouldn't even exist if God hadn't created it? That's right. How, how did we get, what is the emotion of anger? Well, if we, you know, if we just completely, totally reduce things down to purely physical, biological, scientific. Do you know what anger is? It's a certain chemical that God created. It's a compound that when it's released in your brain, makes you feel what we call anger. And you see red and you lose your ability to be rational, depending on how much of that chemical has been released. And, it's, and that's why, and it's there, but it's there for a reason. God himself feels anger. He feels anger always appropriately. We don't always feel anger appropriately, but regardless of whether your anger is appropriate or not, the fact of the matter is, a chemical being released in your brain is not a sin. Now, you might have a too hasty of a temper, and you need to get help. You need to get inner healing. You maybe need to see counseling and anger management, and people, lots of people in this church and outside the church have gotten lots of help for anger. I'm not saying that Every feeling of anger is appropriate. I'm just saying you can't help it. It's not a sin. 
It's what you do with it that is sinful. Amen. So which is why Proverbs says, Proverbs 14, 29, right? Whoever is slow to anger, again, notice it's not no anger. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. What he's talking about here again is not just about feeling anger, although again, if you feel anger too quickly, you should get help with that so that you can help to heal some of those emotions. But the point here isn't that feeling anger is bad. It's that hasty temper exalts folly. It's that when you act out of anger, you will do foolish, follyful things. And anyone here who has ever sent an email or a text in anger, you know that doesn't end well. When those chemicals are released in your brain, it feels good. The moment those chemicals are gone, you go, oh, why? Boy, did that look stupid. When that comes back to me, yee. It's never a good idea. And the things you speak when that chemical is flooding your brain, not smart, okay? So the point isn't that you should feel bad when you feel angry. So too many Christians, though, they completely short-circuit the, the forgiveness process because the moment they feel angry, they try not to feel angry. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling angry. That person, I'm sure, had a reason, and I just got to forgive. That is fake forgiveness, and it's because we're well-meaning the only reason we do this is because we know we're supposed to forgive, so we're well-meaning when we do this, but there's a reason why we utterly fail. Forgiveness really can't be forced. We should be committed to forgiving, yes, but then we should be curious and filled with grace for ourselves and get the help we need to work through things until we get to a point where we actually can let go. Amen. So I want to, oh, actually, before I get, so I just want to show you one more verse because this one is really cool and kind of sets up my steps. I totally forgot about it. Psalm 4, verse 4, which is what Paul was quoting, by the way, in Ephesians. So be angry and do not sin. We see that again. Now look at, this is cool. Then David says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. A whole bunch of us should memorize that verse. <laughs> is that not just practical? Be angry, be silent. In fact, you don't even need to necessarily memorize all the stuff in the middle. Be angry, be silent. That's biblical. Okay, just four words. Get, that would be a good tattoo for some of you to get, okay? If you're underage, I'm not talking to you, okay? Talk to your parents first, but they ain't going to be silent. But the other part here, now it's interesting, in the Bible, David, again, doesn't, I mean, ooh, that is brilliant advice, actually, but David doesn't give us 100 pages then of good counseling language and help discerning our emotions and how we work through things. He just knows what he does that works is that when he's angry, if he ponders in his heart on his bed, if he takes time to think it through, that's a good thing. Okay? So I want you to notice that, that pondering. There's this idea of, in order to work out what's happening in me, I might need to do some work. I, I don't need to just forgive, 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 forgive. Okay. I should actually ponder. I should actually stop and kind of prayerfully, well, and David did a lot of journaling. I mean, that's what the Psalms are. But you prayerfully ponder, you journal, you write, you think, you pray, but you work things through, ponder in your own heart. So based on that pondering thing, I want to give you five kind of very practical steps. If we keep in mind these other things, that anger is not a sin, that curiosity is better than condemnation, okay, that forgiveness takes time, if we give ourselves that grace, then within that context, these are five very practical steps that can help you get to a place where forgiveness is not so much forced as it can actually begin to grow. Okay, so 
Uh, the first one is, we talked a little bit about it already, but number one, allow yourself time to fully feel the emotions you're feeling, okay? But notice in brackets, but don't act out sinfully. That's there for a reason, okay? But don't act out sinfully, okay? So, but allow yourself time to fully feel the emotions you're feeling. Okay, so what does this mean? Allow yourself time to fully feel. To not short circuit the fact that you actually are hurt or angry or sad or whatever. To not short circuit that, to not push it down, to allow yourself to feel. So there's two things that come with this. First of all, one is to actually speak out loud to some trusted people in your life. I would say, you know, several, a couple people, three or four, I don't know, there's not a number. But when you go to trusted people in your life and you've been hurt, and again, we're not talking about the little things on the continuum. We're not talking, you need to have a sit down with your bestie and talk through the fact that your spouse leaves toothpaste on the bottom of the sink. Like, no, you don't need to. You can if you want. But I'm talking about more serious things, but where you actually sit down with trusted people, and, and depending on the situation, you might have a pastor or a counselor in there as well. But you have, it's not gossip. Gossip is when you go to all kinds of different people who are not helping you in the healing process and who have nothing to do with the situation, that becomes gossip. But to have a handful of people who are close to you in your life that you can work things through, that's actually necessary. Galatians 6, bear each other's burdens. To speak out loud. And you say, why does it have to be spoken out loud? Because many of us Christians don't want to go there. We think that that's bad. Okay? Do you know how much, there is so much brain science now that confirms. In fact, they have a name for it in certain areas of this, of psychology. They call it name it to tame it. Okay? But your brain, I'm really oversimplifying some things, but you know, if we, if we just over, in an oversimplified way, if we think of the right side of your brain as having all your emotions and the left side of your brain as being the part where the logic happens, when you are really hurt, someone has hurt you and you are stirred up and you're upset, the right side of your brain, if they did a scan of your brain, you'll see your right side of your brain is all lit up and it's in chaos, it's in overdrive. That's why you're upset, okay? The action of taking time to actually think through what am I feeling and to speak out loud, I am feeling really sad and hopeless right now because of, or I'm feeling deeply hurt and frustrated. The act of speaking out loud to someone you love, what you're feeling, actually, and a ton of research shows this, when that engages the left side of your brain, because you have to use the logical side of your brain to put things into words, it actually engages the left side of your brain and actually brings integration between the two sides of your brain, which results in the right side of your brain soothing and calming down. It brings order out of chaos. It's actually amazing how it works. Which, by the way, as parents, one of the most beautiful things you can do for your kids is give them language for their emotions and help them to talk about what they feel. To actually be able to say, I mean... Now, your daughters will do this easier than your sons, usually. Uh, my daughter, I remember my daughter, Eden, being able to give vocabulary to complex emotions at two years old already, which just shocked me. I'd be like, oh, how do you, how do you even feel that? <laughs> That's amazing. Um, but to be able to say it, it's called name attainment, actually has this power to calm you down. Now, there's another piece to this. It's not just the science of calming down. It's that one of the greatest gifts, because God has made us relational, this is the thing, God is relational. We're relational. True joy will never happen to you until you learn how to deeply connect in relationships with other people because God is relational. 
One of the greatest gifts you can give to someone who's upset and one of the greatest gifts you can receive when you are upset is to talk to someone, that's the name entertainment, to talk about how you're feeling, to someone who deeply cares about you and to have them empathize with you is tremendously healing. See, too many of us as Christians, this is what I mean by allow yourself to fully feel. You're trying to get to forgiveness before you even work things out. Your brain is freaking out because something bad just happened to you. Here is, and you say, well, I thought God wanted me to work this out, just me and him. Yeah, he, that's part of it. You should be working things out with you and him. But actually, to have some people in your life that are godly, not people who are going to inflame your anger f- further, that would be sharing your heart with foolish people who are going to encourage you to sin in your anger. But to have people who deeply care about you and who are godly that you can talk to in your upsetness, in your hurt, and in your anger actually brings tremendous healing and helps you to make sense of what's happened to you. And this is true for us right from when we're little. Um, I mean, I can share with you tons of parenting stories. I asked permission of one of my daughters to share the following story. She said I was not allowed to share her name. So don't go talking to my daughters now and trying to figure out which one it is because that's what she didn't want, okay? So, but she said I could share the story. So I asked if I could share the story. A number of years ago, a daughter who shall remain nameless, <laughs> was playing with friends in the neighborhood. There was a group of girls that always liked to play together. They were running back and forth between yards and stuff. And already at that age, these girls, there were emotional complexities that as a dad, whew, I didn't know how to deal with. And it was, a, I mean, you have to picture this. It was a summer evening. Let's just stop right there for a moment. <laughs> oh, leaves on the trees and the sun was out. Supper was over and I was mowing the lawn. I mean, one of those happy moments, yeah. <laughs> and as I'm mowing the lawn, I see this group of girls and my one daughter and complexities are happening. They can see that. And I'm like, don't bother me while I'm in my zone, okay? <laughs> so I just keep mowing. Now, thank goodness our Father in heaven is not like us fathers on earth. Because in that moment, to me, mowing was more important than the complexities that my daughter was going through. So anyway, I finished mowing. But by the time I had finished mowing, the complexities of the situation had left my daughter in tears which at the time I was not super compassionate about. I kind of, oh. But one of the things I've learned is fake empathy is better than no empathy, okay? It's not as good as real empathy, but it's better than no empathy. So uh, I, I took her into the garage, and, and we, we actually just sat down. I just got to, we just sat down on a step. Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> and I just sat down on my step, and it was very wooden because I wasn't feeling yet. It wasn't real empathy yet. I just, I, I put my arm around her, but it was kind of stiff, and she was stiff. And I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea how to solve your problems. But I already knew enough by this point that actually empathy doesn't mean I have to solve her problems. Empathy just means I have to be there with her. So I just held her a little bit stiffly, and I don't know how long we sat there, but it wasn't very long. Maybe was it 60 minutes? Maybe it was two minutes. I don't know. Not long. And she's just kind of crying. 
But it's amazing at a certain point, and we're wired for this because we're wired for relationship. And it's just the way God's made our brains. And one of the greatest gifts you can give to someone when they're upset and hurting is empathy. Amen. So at a certain point, we're both kind of stiff and she's just kind of crying and I got my arm around her. All of a sudden, did it take a minute? Did it take two minutes? I don't know. All of a sudden, you could just feel her body relax and she just kind of melted into me. And in that moment, all of this is happening subconsciously because God has wired you in his image. He's wired you to connect you can't even help it in these in moments. The mo something subconscious is going on. It's not something you even choose. The moment she melted into me, I could feel this connect, and I just melted into her. And we just had this moment. She's just crying there. And in that moment, the moment we connected on that empathetic level, all the stupid logical thoughts that were in my brain left. Because your five-year-old daughter does not need logic. It won't help her at all. That's another top topic. But she just melted in me, I melted in her, and also I knew this is just about me being with her in her five-year-old pain. So I just, all of a sudden it came to me, I said, you know, I've had my feelings hurt by friends before too. And so has Jesus. And she looked up and she went, oh, like this? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I just had an emotional conversation. It was two sentences long, this is incredible. But now she's, and then I'm able to tell her story of when I have my feelings hurt. And then we talked about Jesus being hurt. And we didn't solve a single problem. We sat there and she just hugged me. And at the end of it, I didn't give her one solution. There was not one practical step. Nothing of that sort happened. She got up and she was okay. Amen. Right? Why is that? Because God has wired us for a relationship. And empathy is one of the greatest gifts you can give. And when you're upset because someone has hurt you, it's one of the greatest gifts you can receive. Which is why Jesus does not expect you to brute force your forgiveness all by yourself. He expects that other people are going to come around you and that you would draw other people in and that you would let them carry, help you carry your burdens. And there's something that happens in you when you receive empathy that is very healing. This brings up a second thing, which I won't spend a lot of time on, because we've talked about this one before, but along with the speaking it out, there's also the writing it out. To journal your very honest feelings with God and then to pray them is hugely, immensely helpful. In another way that speaking out to a trusted loved one hits certain parts of you, writing it out to God and praying hits a different part, but this is not where you, in your journal, I mean, this is also why I don't do my journal on some electronic device, because I'm just afraid someone will find it. it but I also, by the way, can I just say something too? I, I know some people like to share their journals, okay? And if that works for you, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Me, I could never share my journal. How am I going to be honest? The whole point of getting it out on paper and then ripping it up and throwing it out as soon as my journal's done, I don't keep my journals. <laughs> I'm too honest in my journals to keep them. I don't want to pass them down for posterity. and I don't want them found. Because in my journal, I want to be able to be completely open with God. Just like David was in the Psalms. I mean, that guy has no shame. The things that he allows us to see about his life, which I'm thankful for. But you write it in your journal, Lord, I am f extremely angry. What they did to me 
was bad, and you put words and you bring it to God, is part of allowing yourself to feel your feelings and to pray those things to God. Now, a second thing that goes along with this, so first of all, in, when you start out on a season of forgiveness, it's allowing yourself to feel, speaking, writing, bringing some other people in. Secondly, acknowledge the wrongs that were done to you. And this just goes hand in hand with the first one. If you just try to make excuses right away for the person, you're not ever going to be able to truly forgive them. If you pretend that what they did to you wasn't wrong, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness means a real wrong was done, and now you're going to let go of the offense anyway. So you have to acknowledge there's a wrong. If you make excuses for them, if you pretend it's nothing, that isn't forgiveness anyway. And I know we're well-meaning when we try these things, but you say, yeah, but where in Scripture does it say that you should acknowledge that a wrong has been done to you? That feels like selfishness. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you should do that. It's just exemplified for us by all the writers of Scripture. Look at the Apostle Paul. I'll just show you three passages in 2 Timothy where the Apostle Paul pulls no punches and just says exactly how wrong something is that someone has hurt him. Okay, this is 2 Timothy. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy 1.15. He says to Timothy, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. How would you like to be Phygelus and Hermogenes in the pages of Scripture for billions of people to read for thousands of years? Now, Paul didn't know so many people were going to read what he wrote. He was just writing to Timothy a pastoral letter. So it's not gossip. He's not trying to gossip. But he does not say, oh, Phygelus and Hermon, don't worry. You know, they're good people deep down. Da, da, da. Yeah, you can get to that point in the forgiveness process. But he just says, deserted me. Everybody left me. Well, I'm not, and he doesn't put a positive spin on it. That must have hurt. How about this? A couple of chapters later, 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 10. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. There's another one. No positive spin again. He just says, he's, he's not denying people have done bad things to him. And he's not making excuses. It was wrong. A few verses later, he says this. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed their message. And of course, we know David did this throughout the Psalms. I could you example after example after example after example. The biblical writers all show us the truth that true forgiveness does not mean pretending that what was done to you wasn't wrong. I'll just show you one example. We could look at many in the Psalms. But Psalm 41, David writes, My enemies save me in malice. When will he die and his name perish? They say a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, that's very specific, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Okay? So actually, if you're going to forgive, you're going to need to feel the things you're feeling and you're going to need to acknowledge, actually, that was bad. What that person did to me was bad. It was unfair. It was unjust. It was wrong. It was hurtful. That was betrayal. That's okay to say. And then we get to step three, okay? Step three, sort out with help, with help. I really think that when you're trying to put boundaries in place in a relationship, we always need help because we often use boundaries as tools for hurting people rather than helpful, protective boundaries that help the relationship and help both people. But sort out with help, Healthy boundaries for moving forward. Now, say, ah, oh, man, this just sounds like pop psychology or something. 
Really? How is this part of forgiveness? Let me tell you why this is such an important part of forgiveness. Because one of the, in, in a number of cases, one of the biggest reasons why you can't forgive is because you are afraid that it's going to keep happening to you and you feel helpless about it. And when you feel helpless because you think that bad thing you're upset about is going to keep happening to you from that person, whether it be at work or whether it be in your marriage or whether it be in your extended family, but a person is doing something to you that really hurts and you're afraid they're going to keep doing it to you, it will almost be impossible for you to forgive. And I'll tell you why. It's because of how God has wired your brain. Your brain has been wired to protect you. Did you know that? And by the way, I'm really glad it has been. Your brain has been wired. That's why when you get close to a cliff, none of you, and I'm not talking about just jumping in the water, that's always fun. But let's talk about a really, really high cliff with sharp rocks at the bottom. None of you has ever gone to the edge of that cliff and jumped off. And I know that because you are all here today. <laughs> now, some of us like to get closer to that cliff than others. And my wife hates to watch me and what I do with the kids around the edges of cliffs because I like to sit at the edge and dangle my feet off. But I don't ever actually jump off because there's something in my brain and you could offer me all kinds of money and I still wouldn't jump off because there's something in my brain. It's how God's wired that wants to protect me. It's why I would never just put my hand onto a hot stove element and hold it there while it burns and none of you would do that either. And if you would do that, we would send you for help to a hospital because that would prove that something was deeply wrong with you. Why? Because your brain was wired to protect you. Now here's the thing. Relational pain often registers just as painful in your brain as physical pain. That's just true. Relational pain is often just as destructive and painful to us as physical pain. So here's the thing. When in a relationship, and your brain is wired to protect you. So when in a relationship, if we just use the cliff as a metaphor, someone has thrown you off a cliff in a relationship, your brain does not want to get thrown off again, and it puts up self-protection. It doesn't want to go back near that cliff edge with that person. And by the way, aren't you glad that God wired our brains this way? Because you know why he wired your brain to protect you? Because you are valuable. Amen. God doesn't want us all running and jumping off of cliffs and killing ourselves and badly injuring ourselves and doing stupid things in relationships that are destructive. So he wired you. No, here's the problem with forgiving. In some kind of a relationship, whether at work or extended family or in your marriage, you've given someone an, you know, something precious to you or you've been taken advantage and they've, you know, in a sense, chucked you off the cliff relationally, your brain will automatically put up walls now with that person to try and protect you. Here's the problem with trying to forgive in that situation. Forgiveness is about releasing and letting go. And it's pretty hard to release and let it go when you have protective walls up. So until you feel some sense of safety in your relationship, as long as you feel helpless that you are in danger of being taken advantage of again and hurt and betrayed again, you will find it very difficult to let go. You actually need to get some godly help and put, depending on the relationship, there might be, as we've talked about, some need, whether it be at work or in family or wherever, for some separation because actually this person is not safe and only, I mean, this is why, by the way, if, if, a spouse, whether a husband or a wife or whatever, comes to me and shares, I am being abused by my other spouse. Do you know what I would never, ever say to them in that moment? I would never talk to them about forgiveness. 
They don't need to hear about forgiveness in that moment. They need to hear, get yourself safe. Too many pastors have been very unwise with that over the last century. And they're talking to abused people and they're talking about, you just need to forgive and you need to pray and you need to submit. Actually, no. First thing is, get safe. And once you're safe, when you're ready, we can then begin to think about forgiveness because while you're in that situation, how are you going to forgive? So you put whatever it is, whether it be you need you know, big boundaries or whether you need smaller ones, but with godly help, you put in boundaries that are not hateful, but hopefully helpful. And you put in boundaries. And you know what the amazing thing is? The moment you feel safe in your heart, your heart will begin to open up to the possibility of forgiveness. But as long as your heart feels afraid, you will find it difficult to forgive. So sometimes in your relationships, you know, you need to get some help to figure out how to make your heart safe, and then you will be able to forgive. Another way of saying that a feeling of safety is an essential component often moving forward in the forgiveness process, another way of saying that is feelings of helplessness. Feelings of helplessness, this is going to keep happening and I can't help it, will make forgiveness very difficult. But you know, you know what's interesting to me is that Jesus actually exemplifies this. Did you know that? Uh, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he's got people hurting him and right in the moment, and this is, our, this is our inspiration. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But you know what's interesting to me? Jesus felt a lot of things on the cross. He felt deep pain and physical torture and mental and spiritual anguish. But do you want to know one feeling Jesus did not feel on the cross, or at least going into the cross? Helplessness. You want me to show you that? Look what he says to Pilate in John 19. I love this about Jesus. John 19, who is in control of this situation? Pilate said to Jesus, you won't speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority over, to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. <laughs> Jesus says, you're not in charge, I'm in charge. The only, reason I'm going, the only reason I'm going to this cross is I'm letting you do this because I love. By the way, I want you to notice something else. Jesus never went to the cross a second time and he ne- will never go to the cross a second time. He went once. Look what he says in John 10. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. So Jesus was not in an abusive situation whereby people were continually taking advantage of him. He was in love, out of love, said, I am going to go there and I'm going to let you kill me. And then on the cross, under immense pain and stress, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's amazing. It's amazing. But his example on the cross is not a reason for you to continually walk to the edge of the cliff and let unhealthy people push you off. There is a place for healthy 
boundaries and safety, and when you get help to put those things in place, you will find it easier, not easy necessarily, to forgive. Which brings us to our final points, and I'm only going to talk about the last one. Step four is at this point, you can attempt communication and reconciliation. When reconciliation happens, forgiveness is often easy. And then step five is you can actually begin to forgive. And what is forgiveness? I'll tell you what it is. Letting go. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go of the bitterness and the hurt and the resentment and the anger that's inside of you. See, forgiveness is not really, it, a little bit it is, but forgiveness is not about the other person. In many cases, your forgiveness, if it, in cases where they don't want to reconcile and where they're just mad at you and they're just going to be mad at you for the rest of your life, in cases like that, your forgiveness of them won't make them feel better and your resentment of them won't hurt them. Whether you resent them or whether you forgive them won't do anything for them, but it will do something for you. Your resentment won't hurt them, but it will hurt you. And your forgiveness won't help them, but it will help you. So what forgiveness is, is you come to the, as you're coming to the end of this process with Jesus and with the help of others and with wisdom about your relationship, you now finally come to a place where you can say, I don't want to be destroyed by my bitterness. I'm ready to start letting go. I'm ready to start letting go for my sake and for Jesus' sake. I'm ready to start letting go. Not even necessarily for the other person's sake. For my sake and for Jesus' sake, I'm ready to start letting go. And of course, in all of this, Jesus is our friend and we can pray because Jesus knows what it's like to be hurt and Jesus knows what it's like to forgive and he wants to help you. So would you bow your heads with me and, and close your eyes and I just want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, oh, it's like the most beautiful thing to be able to let go that simmering, boiling, under the surface anger and resentment and hurt. We all want to get to a place where we can let it go. And your peace and your grace can flood in and through us. Be a friend to us, Jesus, on this journey of forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Help us to feel your grace that empowers us to give it to others. In Jesus' name.